Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the week in review and what a week it was. We're going to go over the stock market. We're going to talk about the bear market that has turned from bear market to bear market crash. Um, We've been sharing with you the risks of these bear market going back to December of last year. And we've been dancing through the raindrops right up until last week and really the week before it got started. So we're going to go over, do a little post-mortem on what happened in the last seven trading sessions, <clears throat> like seven sessions in an hour, like the last hour on Thursday, two weeks ago, and then uh, everything that um, transpired afterwards. So we're going to go over a little postmortem to get us ready for next week, figure out what our steps are going to be next week, how to protect capital, continue to protect capital, but also where we can look to capture some upside in the bear market. And if it's even worth doing that. So we're going to go over our conservative, our balanced, and our aggressive approaches here at the Armour Report. Now, don't forget, what we're doing here is we're going over what we call a virtual hedge fund. That's what we're running. We're running a virtual hedge fund, okay? And what we do is we take the three essential stages that make the best portfolio managers that allow them to outperform everybody else, and we share them with you every Saturday like this, but also on our live trading desk all week long. And so what we do is we do fundamental research. Of course, we all have to do that, but there's no monopoly on a good idea. We all do work research. We all do work. The real key here is combining the three, and that's using algorithms to execute and then risk management rules to protect. It's those three stages together that allows the Armour Report right now to sit in a position where we have enormous alpha this year. Markets plummeting and depending on whether or not you're following a conservative, balanced, or aggressive approach, you're somewhere around break-even for the year, plus or minus, I don't know, 3 or 4%, okay? So I want to walk you through what the steps are going forward. How are we going to accelerate our alpha? How are we going to capture that alpha? So what I do with you guys is I share, as you know, those of you who are uh, longtime viewers, and I appreciate you doing this with me, sharing your time with me on a Saturday because it really helps me order my thinking. What we do is we have four portfolios. I put my own capital in these four portfolios. So just to give you a quick background, I used to run a couple of hedge funds, used to manage a lot of capital at companies like Lehman Brothers before that was a bad name, and then uh, Prudential and Wachovia and these types of big wirehouses. So uh, ran a lot of capital, Packaged it up into a hedge fund um, in the early 2005 era, 2006. Did that for over a decade. Had lots of fun doing it. And then decided really to run my own assets, run family assets, and just manage capital for our favorite, you know, I guess our favorite clients we've been working with for like 30 years. But out of that came the Armour Report because there was just so much, um, um, so much I've been through in the trenches that I wanted to pass on. I wanted to pay forward, if you will, and share with you guys. And then what I really noticed when it comes to an individual investor trying to be his or her own portfolio manager and why they can 
consistently underperform professionals who do this. Not all professionals, by the way. There's a whole bunch of hedge funds go out of business in markets like this. Okay, so if you're struggling, you're not alone. I mean, most people are struggling. Okay, but what really separates us from that pack of struggling souls is working together in a virtual hedge fund environment. That's key. Being in the storm in a little rowboat on your own is very difficult. So we build community here and run it like a virtual hedge fund where we're all on the trading desk together, all sharing ideas, all risk managers for each other. Lena, I'm looking at you. Thanks for that. Um, But what we really must do as this unit together is manage risk first and then capture upside. That is what separates the best portfolio managers from everyone else. It's the one thing you have to care about. If you can master that, and let me tell you something, it's going to be a lifelong pursuit. I'm going to go over a postmortem in a minute of the market. Right? I got caught. Even with my risk management rules, even as I'm doing, executing as fast as I can to raise capital, even though I was carrying 40% cash in portfolios before the last seven trading sessions, I still gave back more than I wanted. We always have to strive to make our strategies better, to make our risk management rules tighter while still capturing upside. So I love coming on here and telling you how great we're doing. But then there's times like last week, hey, man, I'm in the trenches with you. And if you had a single dollar invested on the long side last week, you're losing money. Everything is 100% correlated and the market's imploding. So now let's get to how to handle this next phase of the bear market. All right. So what I want to do, of course, do your own due diligence with, with whatever I say or anybody else you follow on Twitter, or stock Twitter, or YouTube, whatever. So you always have to follow your own counsel, um, figure out your own risk tolerance and all those things. If you want to subscribe to this right down here, subscribe to the YouTube channel, of course, Subscribe to the Armor Report if you wish. What really is interesting to me is when you guys share this video with other people you think could be helped by this. You know, you see them out there in the storm, <clears throat> you know, bobbing on the water and they need help. Bring them in. Share the video. Okay? And also, don't forget, guys, you can um, comment right now in the comment section live. So when we're done with my opening remarks and my thoughts, I want to get to every one of your questions. There's a lot to go over, so we're going to try to keep sitting here as long as you want, going over what your questions are and what you're thinking and and going back and forth about that. But also, if you're watching this in replay, hey, fill out the comment section below this video, and I will answer questions. I always do. So if you've missed this live and you want to ask a question, go ahead. Ask it in the comment section. I'll get the message, and I'll respond as best I can. All right. First thing we want to go over is a couple of, of thoughts that um, I want to read off for you, just so you know. And I just put it in the comment section for you to read right now. This is from Zero Hedge. Now, Zero Hedge, you know, take it with a grain of salt. They're always bearish. But this week, this past week, they're reporting. And they usually gather this information from sources like 
you know, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, the big brokerage firms. So they're saying that last week's shorting activity was the second largest ever recorded since they've been recorded, however long that is. Massive amounts of short selling going on last week. That's going to play into what our plan is next week. I'll explain that in a minute. The second thing I wanted to discuss with you, things that are on my mind. I wanted to start out with this thought that are on my mind. There it is. You can read it off yourself. I'll read it for you. No, here it is. I'll pop it up. Okay? More than 90% of stocks in the S&P 500 declined on Friday. That's the fifth time in seven sessions. Now, you ready for this? We haven't seen that type of selling since 1928. Since 1928, we haven't seen 90% of the S&P go down five out of seven days. Since 1928. So if you're concerned or frustrated, you can't believe you lost money last week, hey, everything imploded last week. I'm going to walk you through a postmortem of what we were doing on the trading desk so you can see the arc of how we're reacting to this in a second. Um, and then I'm going to wrap up, guys, with a discussion at the end, a little bonus discussion, okay? When Bitcoin was 65000 I came on this show and I said to you, it's going to 30000 way before it's going to go to 100000 right? That was at the height of Tom Lee's excitement and Michael Saylor and all of these people telling you Bitcoin's going to $2 million. Remember that? I came on there and said to you, hey, when people on Twitter who are respectable, not just you know, nobody's, are telling you Bitcoin's going to 2 million. You know it's topped, okay? And 30,000 is where it's going next. So it went to 30,000. And I think it was May 14th, I came on this show, and I said to you, it's at 30,000, and it's definitely going to 21,000, right? And I explained, in a nutshell, that's the pain point for MicroStrategy. It goes below 21,000. They start getting their, um, their, their, um, their bonds called, okay? So later in this conversation, I'm going to go over what we think Bitcoin's doing next and where it's going. So I'm going to jump into that for you at the end. But before I get to that, what I like to really do is I like to give mom, all of us, that's, that's Coinbase. You can see what I was looking at before I came on here, okay? I like to give all of us a, a review of the, bear, the bull market, the bear market, and where we are now, okay? So Pandemic collapse. I just think it's always good for us to start here so you can see the big picture, look at the S&P, and then get your, you know, then it, it really gives you the goalposts of where you are in this market. All right. We have a pandemic. It goes green, the risk monitor down here, because the Fed starts adding insane amounts of liquidity and buying bonds. We all know this market goes up. Then we go through a, a topping process. And somebody's working outside my window, so I hope that doesn't uh, cause too much interference. Nothing I can do about it. We'll have to fight through. <clears throat> so in the topping process, I generally don't short stocks in the topping process, okay, for a whole host of reasons. I think shorting is not for most people, okay? It's very dangerous, and we can go over that later. But to me, there's three very clear stages in the market. You have your bull market stage where you're getting long. You have the topping process where you're raising cash, you're carrying lots of cash, you're being defensive. Maybe you're swing trading here or there, capturing upside when you can. And then something happens that breaks you down out of that, in this case, head and shoulders top. Okay? And what that really was is the, the, May, the May 
Fed announcement, May 4th, the Fed said, we don't know what the heck we're doing. We're way behind the inflation curve. We have to raise rates aggressively. We never know when we're going to stop. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, so uh, we're starting to raise rates. The market didn't like it. It cratered, rallied up, and then we got that horrific um, – um, I, should say, I shouldn't say horrific. We got a CPI number that was hot, okay? And that almost like woke up the market to, holy smokes, the Fed is really behind the curve. And, and, and everyone just started dumping stocks. So you may ask it yourself, where were you, Brett, last Saturday? Because we could have used this conversation last Saturday. It was on a boat. The Wednesday prior, two Wednesdays ago, I took the family from Jupiter, where we live, in Florida, up to St. Augustine, 220-mile cruise, lots of fun along the way, a fun pirate town. The kids had a great time. And in the midst of that, the pirates were stealing the treasure chest over here. Now, I left on Wednesday. And by the way, Wednesday was, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, like the best day of the year for us on our desk. Our whole portfolio was up 3%, like a blended portfolio, was up 3% on Wednesday. I think maybe it was Tuesday. It was just a ripping day for us. Huge. Okay? Um, Wednesday, Thursday, market was quiet. The last hour Thursday, the market broke down. Okay? And so in the morning of Friday morning, the risk monitor went red. And the market cratered Friday. Armor portfolios were only down about a half percent that day because we had a large allocation to precious metals, which had a huge up day. On Friday, remember that? So when I left, when I hopped on the Lele Alley K and made our way north, I had about 40% cash in portfolios. This is an average portfolio now. So I run conservative, balanced, and aggressive portfolios. So I'm kind of blending it for you. I had about 40% cash. And I'm sharing my experience with you so you don't feel alone. Okay? So you, you, you can understand the process. It's not always beautiful. Right? And so you just have to deal with what happens as fast as you can and get yourself ready for the next wave. So when I left, I had 40% cash, about 25% precious metals, and the rest energy slash dividend stocks. So I felt like I had a low beta hedged portfolio with cash. And when I got back on the desk at 12 o'clock on Monday. I was looking at serious losses in the portfolio. How's that possible? With that much cash, precious metals, and energy. It's possible because we've, we've entered the crash phase of a bear market. Now, I don't want to scare you. It doesn't mean that the market, I mean, the market can unfold in a crash in, in many different ways. In 2008, it was a rolling, lurching, miserable situation that lasted all year. In uh, 1987, the market opened down 25% on a Monday morning. So, you know, honestly, I'd rather the latter. I I wish the market would open down 25%. Boom, and it's over. The Fed comes in, starts supporting. The pain is felt. Uh, and, and, and it's over. But, um, and of course, I'm talking my book here because I'm 99 or 100% cash right now. <laughs> so I don't care if the market gaps down 25%. That'd be fantastic. Right? <laughs> the amount of alpha we'll have will be unreal. The market will never catch up to us. And, and, and 
that neither will anybody else um, to the left or the right of us, right? Because we're just protected. But um, I digress. So how do, what's the postmortem? So the last hour on Thursday was really ugly. Thursday was an ugly day for us. Metals were getting hit. Energy was getting hit. Um, Friday, the market imploded, but we didn't have a bad day because we had a bounce up in energy and the metals took off. So I said, hey, we've got support. Um, not now, guys. So I said, I said, hey, we got support, right? Um, and I actually didn't have my full position on precious metals at the time. So I added the precious metals at the end of the day on Friday. And I'm just telling you how it is, right? Sometimes I make the right calls, sometimes I make, I don't. I added to some precious metals at the end of the day, right? Monday, market's imploding. By the end of the day, Monday, I'm lifting almost everything out of my portfolio. And on Tuesday, I shared with all Armour Insiders on the live trading desk, something's horrifically wrong with the market. Max cash has to be in place for every portfolio. On Friday, right here, okay, when the risk monitor went red on Friday right here. So this is the day the risk monitor went red. Let's, let's draw it so we all know it. All right. That's the day the risk monitor goes red. And so somebody following our strategy right there. So we were green in here, and then that was the red day. So for a conservative portfolio, you're 100% cash. At the end of that day, Friday, it's over for you. So the misery of this past week, you don't, you don't have any of that problem. So for portfolios that run like that, and cash, market plummeted last week, didn't make a difference, okay? Balanced portfolios, I've got some dividend stocks in there, okay? Got some, which is energy. I had some precious metals, so I took some losses there. And it took my gains for the year back around to break even, okay? And for my aggressive portfolios, bigger positions. So now I'm down a little bit for the year, my aggressive portfolios. All right? But by Tuesday, right here, this day, uh, is the day really I lifted everything out of everywhere. And so the only positions I hold now are the pipeline stocks. And even those positions, I wish I'd sold. Right? Here are the pipelines. Okay. Here are the pipelines. We bought them back here. We've been collecting a 7.5% yield. Uh, and, they, and, and they've done this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight trading days in a row. So I look at that, those pipelines. They're supposed to be low beta. And this is what I want to talk to you about because it's disturbing, right? These are low beta names where I'm collecting a fat yield. And they collapsed, what is it, 20% in eight trading sessions. So they're back down the close to where I bought them, maybe a little bit above where I bought them. And I'm going to keep collecting that yield. So I'm not, I'm not touching that position. I intend to hedge it if things get a lot worse. Okay. I can hedge that position by being short, let's say XOP, the exploration production companies. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. I just wanted to go over the postmortem with you on, uh, on the portfolio. And um, there's the NASDAQ. Let's go back to the S&P. Okay. So that's what happened in my portfolios last week. We defended capital. The armor report was very clear on you got to be defensive. 
We were carrying lots of cash going into the week. And so we lived to fight another day as the market plummets. I hope all of you were in that same type of position to follow us at the Armour Report. Okay? Not a fun week, but also not a destructive week to capital. And, and in weeks like that, where we look at the fact that as one particular data point, 90% of S&P stocks were down five out of seven days. We haven't seen that since the 1928 crash. Um, it just puts in perspective what's happening. So step one is defending capital at this stage. But at the same time, we see this. And so let's talk now. Let's shift gears now to what do we think is going to happen next week and what trade are we looking for? What are we looking to do next week with assets? Okay. For a conservative portfolio, I'm not looking to do anything. The conservative portfolio, just look at the charts here. When the risk monitor goes green, we get long. When it goes red, we have max cash. In a bear market like this, in a conservative portfolio, when the risk monitor goes green, I just buy indexes. I don't buy individual stocks. I don't buy ETFs of groups. I just buy the indexes. One reason is when you have alpha as large as we have, which is to say conservative portfolios might, you know, they're up a little bit for the year. It's small. Let's call it break-even. You know, 2% up doesn't really mean anything. So we're right around break-even, Okay. In those portfolios, let's say a break-even portfolio. Let's say you're down 5% for the year. You could be down 10% for the year. You still have great alpha. The market's imploding. market's approaching a 30% decline. On the S&P, forget about all the other indexes that have imploded. Okay, when you have that kind of alpha, step one in the recovery process is to make sure you capture the alpha by having an allocation in the indexes at the Armour Report. This is the Armour Investing Way. You can do whatever you want. I'm telling you what I do. What's priority number one? What's at the top of my whiteboard? And I've been changing my whiteboard. So Armour Insiders, go to the website, take a look at the whiteboard. I'm reordering the whiteboard for the type of market we're in today. And I'm adding a short selling section. I'll get to that in a minute. Some of you are asking me, when will I short? I will. And I'm building the list now of what I want because I do think that this bear market is going to last a lot longer than people think unless it's an overnight gap down. Okay? And so there'll be plenty of opportunities to short. Okay? So we're building that list on the whiteboard. Armor Insiders, go to the website, take a look at the whiteboard. You'll see what I'm talking about. But talk about short selling gets me off my my main my main point of how we want to behave next week so for a conservative portfolio and i tried at the arm report here in these discussions with you on saturdays to boil it down to how do you use the armor information to make money like what do i do with this information and so i always say you're the portfolio manager of your own assets the virtual hedge fund trading desk you join us on the desk as a portfolio manager you determine how you want to manage those assets on a conservative, in a balanced, or an aggressive way. And so what I try to do, somewhere in between or some kind of combination of all three. I don't know. Okay? So what I try to do is I say, okay, 
from an armor report point of view, when the risk monitor goes red, you go to max cash in a conservative portfolio. And in many portfolios that I manage, that means 100% cash. The algorithmic part of these three essential stages, right? The three essential stages right here. The algorithmic part, I know you guys can't build your own algorithms. In many cases, you don't, you don't have that capability. I don't mean mental capability. You can do it if you put the time in, but you need time and you need capital to, to build successful algorithms. And so I'm sharing with you mine. And so when that risk monitor goes green, which, by the way, is a probability algorithm, so it's not a guarantee that the market's going to go up. Right? As we just saw, the risk monitor went up, and then it rolled over, broke down. We took a loss on that entry. Okay, it happens. Okay, the prior entry, we had a profit. We got green here. It went up here, had a chance to book some profits, raise stop to break even, no loss of manpower. All right, right in here, we got green. It rallied up. We made some money on that trade. Went red right at the top of the market. Went red right here. Went red right there. Oh, i got to change this to yellow. This is not... Um, I got to change this color. This is a different, I'm going to make this white so you guys don't get confused. I'm going to explain this in a minute because this is very important, these white boxes. That's not a risk monitor. That's Fed day, okay? And we have to monitor those lines. I'm going to go over that in a minute. But anyway, so how do you use the risk monitor? How do you use the arm report to help you? It's designed to say, look, when the, when the risk monitor goes green, you put capital to work. When it goes red, if you're conservative, max cash, whatever that means to you. Balance, portfolio, max cash, whatever that means to you. Okay? Everybody's different there. In an aggressive portfolio, max cash, but I'm still going to be doing a lot of things in, those, in that aggressive portfolio. So I'm going to carry cash, but max cash in an aggressive portfolio might be 40%. Might be 50%. Probably 50% is max cash. Whereas conservative, if, I were to, if you were to force me to put it in the numbers, an aggressive portfolio is 50% cash at max probably. And, and a um, balanced portfolio is about 75% cash. And a, and a conservative is 100% cash. There's, there's a basic guide, okay? But I'll tell you right now, in this market, my aggressive portfolio is 100% cash. 100%. What happened in the last seven trading days is a major wake-up call if you're not protecting capital. So now, hopefully you all are, but obviously some, some of you are going to be watching this video and saying, I'm not. What do I do now? So let's talk about what we're going to do now. I want to, I want to go over the chart pattern right here, step by step, so you can understand what we'll be looking for on the trading desk. This is not a guarantee when we use algorithms that are probability algorithms. They're going to be wrong X number of times out of 10. Okay, maybe three out of 10 times they're going to lose money. So you, all we can do is get on the right side of probabilities over and over when rewards worth risk. Then we have to execute correctly and stay in the game long enough for the probabilities to work in our favor. I challenge all of you right now. Look in the mirror and say, will I make it through this process? Okay? Because somebody who quits in the middle never allows the probabilities to play out. There are a lot of people being wiped out right now that will not come back to invest in. They don't get it. 
They were holders. We're going to go over Bitcoin in a minute, right? They're holders, and they're just getting buried, and they just keep convincing themselves. It's okay. It's okay. They're 100% invested. The market keeps plummeting. I'm a holder. I'm a long-term holder, right up to the point where they say, wait a minute. I've lost a massive amount of my capital. What am I going to do now? I need money. Well, they're going to sell everything right at the bottom. That's what always happens. And they won't come back for a long time. I challenge you not to be that person. Now, if you're an Armor subscriber, I know you're not that person because you're drawn to the virtual hedge fund desk. And our whole goal is to protect capital. So I know that. And if you're new to this channel and you're watching this video now and you don't know what to do, let's talk about probabilities next week and then get you on the right side of probabilities again. Okay, and consider joining us so you don't go through this again. This is why I started the Armour Report, to try to really help you all. I've been through this so many times in my 30-plus years of doing this. Okay, so, and by the way, I still get caught. Like last week, I still got caught with too much involved. I couldn't believe that. Honestly, I looked at the screen. I spoke to you guys that are on the desk. I can't believe it. How can I have 40% cash, 25% precious metals, energy and dividend stocks, which are supposed to be low beta, and I'm, and I'm down this much today? I don't understand, right? So when I have that moment, when I say I don't understand, it was happening really Monday, and then Tuesday morning, I just lifted everything out of the portfolio. Something's not right. It's already risk monitor red. My conservative portfolios, my balance, they're already in max cash. So... The only portfolio getting hit here is my aggressive portfolio. I have to rip everything out of it. So what are we going to do next week? This is what I want to talk about. Um, even in the most bearish of bear markets, even in the most awful collapses, if you're a student of the market, you can go back and look at this or you can take my word for it. The best two to three day rallies happen in a bear market. In fact, we just had one right back here. It made the risk monitor go green. Three huge updates. Boom. We know we have an unreal amount of short selling that went on last week. That's just fuel for a ripping rally back to the top of these channels. So when we go through this process of topping, okay, which we did back here, and then we get into a downtrend, which are these red lines here, the market will either follow the 50-day moving average, the black line here, or the 200-day moving average, the green line there on the downside. And so what you'll get is a very defined channel. This, this happened like clockwork in 2008. It was beautiful, just this defined channel. And every rally to the top of the channel, you could short and the implosion to the bottom of the channel you would cover, okay? So some of you were asking me on the desk yesterday, is it time to start shorting? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Is it possible the market crashes and you're going to be angry at me? Oh, geez, I could have made some money in a crash. Hey, that's always possible. Go out there and do that. But I don't go to the craps table and bet on snake eyes, Okay. The probabilities that the market rallies from here are enormous versus maybe we wake up and the market crashes. In fact, if the market's down on Tuesday morning, if the market's down big Tuesday morning, I will be chomping at the bit to get long the S&P. And here's why. 
So the market rallied right up to the 50-day moving average and, and died, right, and cratered. Now it's fallen right to the bottom of the aggressive 50-day moving average channel. See, so I just connect the tops here, this basic technical analysis. Let me um, zoom in here for you, right? So I'm connecting these tops, which cut right through the 50-day moving average. And this is going to be the 50-day moving average channel, okay? And so you make a high and a low. Maybe I should do this so that you can um, see the difference. Okay, so the solid red line is the 50-day moving average decline, and the dashed red line is the 200-day moving average. So sometimes in a bear market, you'll get a rally all the way back to the 200-day before it rolls over and implodes again. Honestly, I thought this risk monitor green was going to take us to the 200-day, to the but it, it died right at the 50. Okay. But we're so far down. We've actually broken down out of the bottom of the 200-day channel. See that? Statistically speaking, with all the short selling that went on last week, at the bottom of the channel, odds heavily favor a rally off the off the lows as we go through a bear market. Okay? Now, these yellow dashed lines are very important, and I suggest you put it on your chart and always remember it. These are Fed days. This was the Fed day low when the Fed first said, we don't have a clue what we're doing and inflation is going to kill all of us. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they said. <laughs> okay. Then CPI number comes out. And as you can see, the risk monitor green went green and failed right at the Fed day low. Imploded. And now this right here, the market was up the day of the Fed meeting and gap down the next day, which is becoming the norm. See, this was a, the Fed day was up, the very next day down big. Fed day was up, down big. All right, if we can recapture this yellow dashed line with some type of consolidation, then I would expect a rally back up to this red line or even a test of the May 4th low, which my guess will occur over time, and the 200-day moving average will come down to it. Okay, so what I'm looking to do on the desk next week, since I've got max cash anyway, is I'm looking to trade the S&P from the long side first. In portfolios where I still have my pipelines, I'm carrying VIX just to protect myself in case there is a crash. As you see here with VIX, it's yet to break out, which I find just astounding. I don't, I don't really understand it. How can the market have really the worst week really in, in, in one gauge since 1928 and VIX has not broken out yet? So either I'm looking a gift horse in the mouth and I should be loading up on VIX or I just don't understand volatility. I mean, at some point in here, I expect VIX to skyrocket out of here. And so for my portfolios that still carry a, you know, investments and I want to protect, I have a long position on VIX and I might day trade VIX from the long side while I'm day trading the S&P from the long side. If I hook into the S&P correctly and have a huge up day, I'll book some of that profit and probably carry some overnight. Because generally, when you get the first big up bar in the S&P, in a market like this, there'll be two or three days in a row. And I'm going to capture as much of that as I can. Then I'll start looking for where will I want to short. Okay? Um, also, 
to create alpha. I'm looking for a long position in treasuries. When this gets ugly enough, and the market, first of all, bonds always lead stocks. Bonds have been leading stocks on the downside, and I've been talking about that ad nauseum since last year. Okay, The truth will persist, and you'll see bonds lead stocks to the upside by three to six months. I'm not, I don't mean like bonds go up and stocks go up the next day. I mean like money will start piling into the long treasury bond. Yield curve is inverted. It'll get more inverted. Short-term rates will be forced up by the Fed to, to you know, stop inflation. The long bond will start going down as people, as bond players, realize that the economy is going to rip into a recession and the Fed's going to have to do something to support. And the bond market will be a place that people congregate to protect their assets, the U.S. bond market. All right? So I'm watching TLT for an investment, and we'll be trading on our trading desk, TLT and TMF, some of you guys like to trade. Now, let me just say something about the triples. In a market like this, doubles and triples are very dangerous. Will they work in a market as large as U.S. Treasury bonds and as large as the S&P 500? Maybe. I mean, they will. They will. So I'll trade SSO, which is twice the S&P, and I can trade TMF because it's such an incredibly liquid market. But I wouldn't trade any other doubles or triples in a, in a market that's in a free fall. Okay, because you're just not, you're not getting the right price. It's being mispriced. I guarantee it. Okay. Um, and let me just wrap up with a thought of this. So what do we think is going to happen Monday morning, uh, Tuesday morning? Who knows? But um, here's my Bitcoin prediction. All right. So we talked about this Bitcoin bottoming wedge that failed. And when it failed, we said, hey, when wedges fail, they usually get ugly to the downside. And that's what's happening. So just allow me this you know, moment, if you, if you will, and then I'll get to your questions. When Bitcoin, like I already said this, but it's so much fun, I'm going to say it again. I took such abuse for this in every social media platform that I think I deserve an opportunity to just go over it again. When Bitcoin went above 60,000, I told everybody it's going to go to 30,000 before it goes to 100. And you should have seen the, the abuse. I and mean, I had to block some people. It was ridiculous. Okay? But that was part of the reason why I knew that was true. A whole bunch of people who had no idea how to protect capital, who had no respect for the dollars they'd earned, were espousing price targets that they had grabbed out of thin air just to pump their own positions. We knew there was a problem. And it wasn't just those people. It was also people like Tom Lee. And I'm going to keep beating up on Tom because I thought it was such a disservice. He would go on CNBC constantly talking about $100,000 Bitcoin. We know Michael Saylor is a total snake oil salesman. We know it. Just look at him. He likes to put a picture up on Twitter where his eyes are like some type of beaming light trying to mesmerize you into thinking Bitcoin only goes up. Total snake oil. This doesn't end until that gentleman is in a courtroom. I'm just saying that's my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. 
if I am wrong, and this plays into the most disturbing part of the whole cryptocurrency situation, if I am wrong, it will be because there's no regulation. There's no governing body out there. And so maybe he's scot-free. Maybe he's scot-free. Maybe I'm wrong. He talked his book. He told you what his book was. And he kept telling you how high it was going to go. If there are people out there that were suckered into believing that Bitcoin was going straight to a million dollars of Bitcoin, hey, caveat emptor. It's not his fault. He didn't try to hide the fact that he had a lot of Bitcoin. He told you, I got a lot of Bitcoin. Now I'm going to tell you how high it goes so you can, hope, uh, so you can help push the, the price up. That's what he told you. Hopefully you avoided it. But people were to do that. If I was to do that, if other people were to do that in the equity markets, if they were to take a small cap, and Bitcoin turned into a big cap, but if they were to take a, an asset with limited supply and pump and pump and pump and pump and pump it, God forbid they sell any. Because that would be illegal. Because it's regulated. You can't do that. I come on this show every day and I talk to you guys and I say, look, this is what I do with my own capital. Make your own decisions. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what stocks to buy. I'm just telling you what I do personally. You'll never hear me come on this show and say, hey, I own this stock and it's going to go to this price target and you should buy it. I don't do it for two reasons. One, most importantly, I think it lacks integrity. If the idea is right, I don't need to come out here and bark about it. It's going to go up. And number two, it's illegal. But guess what? If it's Bitcoin, it's not illegal. Right? If it's a cryptocurrency. Although now, didn't we just see that Elon Musk is getting sued for his Dogecoin debacle? I think he's probably going to win that lawsuit because there's no regulation against it. I mean, he said this is going to happen. He has fun with it. He told you how ridiculous it was. So nobody's going to win that lawsuit. But it's the wild, wild west in the cryptocurrency world. That's what it is. So when it was in the 60s, I said it's going to 30. When it got to 30, this was a month ago, I told you it was going to go to 21,000. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's the pain point for MicroStrategy. When it gets below 21,000, loans get called in. So then this is what happens. It got to 21,000. I know we're going over them. I'll stay here and answer your questions in a minute. Just bear with me. When it got to 21,000, Michael Saylor comes on CNBC and says, hey, no loans are being called. Everything's okay. Right? Silvergate is the company that he's got a lot of loans out with, SI. So be careful if you, if you own that stock. And by the way, take a look at MicroStrategy here and then look at Silvergate. They're, they're kind of in lockstep together. Um, this is MicroStrategy. Chart looks like that. And then we'll um, just throw up Silvergate, which is a company I used to really like. And it's the same pattern. Okay, so Silvergate's on the hook for a loan on Bitcoin. Okay? So I'm here to tell you, 
now that it's below 20,000, right? So it gets to 21, it goes below, they come on TV, they say there's nothing wrong, there's nothing going to be called, loans aren't being called. Now it's, what is it, 19 and change. I don't I haven't looked recently, maybe it's lower. Bitcoin is going to go below 10,000. It's going to go below 10,000. I don't know where it's going to stop, but it's going to go back to that number. It, assets that un, unwind like this go to these round numbers of importance or through the level that there was supposed to be a loan called. Not called yet. Now we're in the, now we're in the teens, right? Eventually it gets called and there will be a wipeout in here. So I'm guessing 10,000. It's a guess. I don't know. I knew 21. Because we all knew it was public information where the loan was going to be called. Then it got there, and they told us it's not being called. So now it's going lower. I'm going to end on this note. Housing was, to the 2008 bear market, what crypto is to the 2022 bear market. Housing was the 2008 bear market, what crypto is to the 2022 bear market. What I mean by that is a couple of things. Number one, you can watch what's happening in crypto to understand where the overall market's going. Just like in 2008, every leg down in the housing market. And you could even say credit default soft. So when I say housing, not just XHB, which is the ETF of housing, but I mean like everything related to housing. So everything related to crypto. It's the Michael Saylor problem in Bitcoin. It's the Celsius problem, which is clearly a Ponzi scheme fraud that's collapsing. These things lead to other major problems that we would not know were out there when the tide was higher. So what happened in the CDS market and in housing revealed Bernie Madoff. I don't mean to scare anybody. And it's a different situation. Crypto is not as big as housing. But what I am telling you is what's happening in crypto is going to reveal some very big busts. I'm not saying a fraud like Madoff. But there's something else out there that's going to be revealed. When the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing clothes. Melvin Capital closed its doors. This has a way of feeding on itself until a crescendo. And that crescendo is only stopped by the Fed stepping in. And so... Why did we have the worst seven days by some metrics since the 1920 collapse? Because that crescendo is getting closer. And this time around, the, F the Fed doesn't want to help anybody. In fact, the Fed's creating it to some degree. So protection of capital is tantamount. You don't have to put capital to work just because you have cash to portfolio. Cash is an allocation. 
patience is going to be key in this market. Staying connected to what's happening is going to be key. You can't just walk away because you'll totally miss the turn. Information is going to be coming out at a rapid pace. Best for us to be sharing that information on the virtual trading desk, working together on the virtual hedge fund desk, so we can navigate through what is really um, a hurricane-type storm in financial markets. And I was willing to dance between the raindrops two weeks ago, but by Tuesday of this week, I stopped dancing. Massive cash, defense, step aside and wait while I follow the story. That's where we're at. Okay? Sorry if this is a sober conversation on a Saturday morning. The way it is. And I'm trying to be honest with you. You know, I'm always going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what my success is. I'm going to tell you my failures. I'm going to tell you when it's a fun bull market. And I'm going to be honest with you when it's very disturbing. And that's what we're at now. Which doesn't mean that I'm shorted, right? My next trade is a long trade. I guarantee you that. My next trade is a long trade. Long treasuries, long the S&P. All right, let's get to some of your questions. Thanks for listening and spending that much time with me. Good morning, Deb. How are you? Thoughts on IIPR? Um, take a look. IIPR. So I don't own IIPR, Deb, in the portfolio. I think you know that. We talked about it. Uh, for those of you who aren't, um, aren't aware, we owned it down here. We had a huge run on it. We sold it up here. I bought it back right in here. And when it broke down, I got out again. And so now it's imploded. Um, <clears throat> thoughts on that? Uh, IIPR go hand in hand with uh, MSOS. Um, IIPR is a big a big portion, or it was. I haven't looked recently at MSOS. It probably is. Um, my only thoughts, I'm going to keep them simple and move on, Deb. This is not a market for cannabis stocks. It hasn't been for a long time. When we see the ARC funds and the IBD50 um, and the biotech stocks make bases and start to go up, you'll see cannabis stocks go with it. This is no longer a story about cannabis being, it probably, it's never been, it's never been a story about the cannabis business. Cannabis business is great here in the U.S. This is a story about feet dragging in Congress, and so who knows when they come up with you know, some type of safe banking or, or what have you. But more importantly, if you look at MSOS and you look at IIPR and you look at uh, XBI, XBI, which is the biotech, look at the biotech index. So what do these things have in common? You know, look, the, look at the biotech index. Look at, um, look at ARC. You know, and so how is IIPR any different? I think this is something that um, sometimes, as investors, we, we forget. 
this is actually performing better than all those other indexes, and now it's finally caught up in the collapse. And I think what we forget is um, in the intermediate, the short term, the intermediate term, to what could turn out to be long term, um, stocks go up and down based on a flow of capital, not how great the idea is. So I like IIPR as a fundamental idea. The lower it goes, the higher the yield goes. If you look at the 1970s, the three best places to have money in a, a hyperinflation, stagflation type of market are energy, precious metals, and real estate investment trusts. So it's on my radar dip, but there's, there's no way to hold the name like this as it's going lower. That's, that's, so it's not in any of my portfolios. Hope that answers the question. All right, Festerosa, how you doing, brother? Back up the truck on a rig. <laughs> okay. All right, let's take a look at some of your ideas here. Um, there's, no, there's no backing up trucks in a market like this, okay? So 100% cash for me, but is rig on my list to own? Absolutely. And so is HP, and so is all of the drilling stocks. All right, so we sold our HP up here. Right, right, right here at the 50-day, we sold the HP, and it's cratered down to the 200-H, uh, and I hope it makes a nice base right on top of here. And hey, let me tell you something. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to own uh, uh, energy stocks again coming out of this uh, recent sell-off. That'll be the first place I go with capital. Telray, uh, you'll never see me buy Telray. So uh, I wish you the best of luck on that one. But without a doubt, the drilling stocks. Uh, Exxon, Chevron, the pipeline stocks. Pipelines are coming right back down to the base, with, which means the yields are being jacked up again. It's a no-brainer. Those are my favorite places to go when the dust settles. ID Doc, how are you, man? Um, fired my SEP IRA fund manager and took control. Uh, oh, good for you. Mo, I am so pleased to hear that. I can't believe that. I- you're welcome, and I'm so glad. That's why I started the Armour Report, and I'm glad I'm able to help. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I'm gonna, I'd like to cut and paste that post and put it on my wall. I'm glad that you're able to do that. You, you are all required to be portfolio managers of your own asset. Be the steward of your own assets. Okay? Um, join our virtual hedge fund trading desk. Gather information. Trade with the community. Protect capital live to fight through a market like this. And then Mo, you and I are going to be able to put our cash to work after the market's plummeted and lock in significant returns. That's what's going to be fun. Um, I'm waiting for Biden to visit Saudi Arabia for oil to bottom. Uh, it may be. That could be. I mean, I, for me, I'll, you know, let's just look at XOP. Okay, so... This is the long-term uptrend of um, the E&P companies, all right? So they just blew – that's a blow-off top of epic proportion, all right? So the first thing I want to share with you all is when you get a blow-off top and a collapse like that, um, it generally takes a series of weeks, if not months, to build a solid base from which to buy again. So um, I wouldn't take any political event as a reason to just go buy something. What I want to see now is uh, XOP come down to the 200-day, which would be the uptrend, and then set up a base over a series of weeks. It might take months. And then I'll get all over that trade again. Um, XLE, I mean, these, these are the ETFs of the, of the big uh, uh, exploration production companies. And it's the same story. Exxon, Chevron, Shell, 
They're all getting wrecked right back down into the base. If they can hold the 200-day and set up a pattern over weeks, it's not going to take days, though. This is the thing I would, uh, I, I'm trying to convey on this, uh, on this call with you guys. Um, there is unreal destruction going on in the market. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get a swing trade. And I'm going to be trading from the long side next week looking for the pop, okay? But that's, you, if you get the pop, you cull it off. You don't think, hey, this is the start of a bull market. It's not a start of a bull market. It's not even close. A bull market won't start again until A, the Fed, no. I'm going to go A, long-dated treasury bonds start to go up. That would be the first sign of, 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 a, of a semblance of, of normalcy in the market again. Right now, we have like 100% correlation. I mean, everything's going down. Treasuries, junk bonds, equities, it doesn't make a difference. Commodities now are starting to go down. So we're in that, we're in that cyclone phase of a bear market where it starts to just crush everything down. So, A, we have to see treasuries start to recover and give us a, an investable entry point. We're going to start making money on treasuries, I think, right? at some point in here first. Then we're going to probably have to see, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, economic numbers start to get weak enough that the Fed gets scared of, of the recession is going to turn into a depression or or inflation numbers that start coming down to some significant degree so that the Fed can stop the aggressive you know, rate hikes, whatever it is. But don't forget, right now, right now in June, the Fed is reducing its balance sheet. Remember, it started in June, and it only accelerates throughout the, throughout the summer. So looking for a quick recovery, I think, is a big mistake. We might get quick rallies. And those will be the times to get in and book a profit and get out, in my opinion. Brian, how you doing, man? Let's make some money off Bitcoin sell-off. Okay, I'll make some money on the Bitcoin sell-off um, when Bitcoin's 10000 Talk to me then. I mean, I'm serious. Okay. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan, just so I can say to everybody, I, I don't hate cryptocurrencies. I believe cryptocurrencies have a place in the financial system. There's going to be a resurrection. I'd like to be on that. But I don't think we're anywhere close to that bottom. Because primarily, Brian, I think microstrategy has to go bankrupt before we're even close to a bottom. They have an obscene amount of Bitcoin, and I don't think they're going to be able to hold on to that Bitcoin before the bottom. I think the defining event will be loans that are called that they can't service. The, the, the other possible defining event, if we're going to draw a, 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 an analogy to 2008, as you know, when Bear Stearns went to $2 a share, it was taken over. Who bought them? J.P. Morgan bought them, I think. Bear Stearns went to 2 bucks a share, and they got taken over. So MicroStrategy is going to implode, and does somebody come in, a white knight, and take them over? So they don't go bankrupt. Somebody comes in, takes them over, and gets all of their Bitcoin at rock-bottom prices. 
that event would be a bottom. And then I would say to you, Brian, let's start putting some capital to work because the event will happen on a down, a down sucking move. It's not going to be a rocket higher in Bitcoin. It's going to be implosion to a, to a price and somebody takes them out to get their Bitcoin and that will set the bottom and it'll still be very volatile. But that's when I say, okay, let's go buy some Bitcoin and buy some puts to protect. But usually the puts are throwing, you're throwing away money, Brian, because they're, they're going to be incredibly expensive. You know, but there needs to be a, in this type of decline, there needs to be a defining event that sets the bottom. And, and we're not there yet, in my opinion. Andrew, how you doing, brother? How much destruction there was with indexes and heavy cash? Market tank is so hard. I... You even feel it at 100% cash. I know. Look, Andrew. I knew how you were running the portfolio and you were following the strategy of risk on and indexes. Every now and then you're going to get hit on the indexes and that's what happened. I mean, Friday was the day I was on the water. I was in St. Augustine. I couldn't get on a computer. It was ridiculous. But um, that was risk monitor red. So you had one really nasty day, right? Uh, maybe Thursday's close was ugly. And then Friday you're out. And you, you, you should have, Andrew, you should have, because I know you follow the conservative approach. You should have missed the entire sell-off last week. But it's funny how you say you feel you're 100% cash and you still feel it. I love that. Because it does, because you're sitting there staring at it. Even though you're 100% cash, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. I have 100% cash in, uh, in portfolios, and I still check them. The market's plumbing. I go check them anyway. I'm like, what am I checking them for? It's cash. I don't know. Is cash going down? <laughs> I, that's what it feels like. All right. Um, thoughts on PSLV. Okay. I didn't talk about precious metals right now. There was so much to talk about, and I didn't get to it. So let's talk about it real quick. Um, I got stopped out of most of um, my, my positions, all of my positions. Okay, Deb, I, let me walk you through this. So this is Sprott Physical Gold. Let's start here. This huge up day was Friday, and that put Armour Portfolios into really good standing. Even though the market was plummeting, we were down maybe on average half a percent that day with the market down 3 or 4%. And that's because we had allocation to, to gold and the gold stocks and were skyrocketing. Deb, I thought that was the beginning of the move I'm looking for in metals. And then I took it in the teeth the next couple of days, actually the next day, which was Monday. And so I sold everything Tuesday morning. I said, no, something's really wrong with the market, Deb. And I'm selling everything and I'm reassessing. I'm starting over from scratch. Okay, here's PSLV. So here are my thoughts. Let's go first. I want to share with you the O'Neill chart. So now I'm looking at um, MarketSmith on uh, the O'Neill charts on MarketSmith. And I'm going to Sprott Physical Gold. Okay, and what I want you to see is this unbelievable relative. And I, I posted this on Twitter. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, give it a follow. It's at Brett Rosenthal. You can find it on you know, the Armour Report on Twitter and StockTwits. And I posted this chart. Um, I don't know if I posted it Friday or, or Thursday. Um, basic relative strength analysis. Relative strength versus the market. Not RSI index, but relative strength versus the market will teach you. And this is a weekly chart now, gold. You see a, a price high, 
you look at the relative strength corresponding high. You see the price going down, but you see the relative strength making a new high on a weekly level. So now the relative strength is 86. If you follow the William O'Neill style of investing, you look to buy an asset when the relative strength goes above 80. The biggest moves in stocks occur when the relative strength goes from 80 to 100. Okay? So what we saw last week was Sprott Physical Gold's relative strength blew out. And relative strength usually leads price. Okay? So, um, and the number is now 86, up from the 70s. I think it was 76 beginning of the week, and now it's 86. And yet price hasn't moved. Price hasn't moved. It's making a double bottom at a higher low. So I'm going to tell you, Deb, first of all, I own an allocation to Sprott Physical Gold. I have about a third of my position on that I want to have on. So if it pops, I'm going to have three times as much investments in, in probably at this stage, physical gold. We did an interesting study. One of the Armour Insiders brought this to the table um, on our virtual hedge fund trading desk on Friday, I think it was, a study of how gold and silver did in prior bear markets going back, you know, decades. And in some bear markets, gold really outperformed and silver doesn't. Silver goes down with the market, but gold offers support. So now is not the time, Deb, to look at the gold-silver ratio and say, oh, my God, you could drive a you know, mega tanker through that. Uh, uh, we got to own silver. It's got to close the gap. It doesn't have to close the gap right now. We're in, a, we're in a sort of a financial crisis. It's not like 2008, hopefully, but we need to high grade our portfolio. The only asset that really, you know, if you look at 2008, gold was up a lot that year. Every other asset was down. I think silver was down that year. The gold mining stocks were down like 50% in 2008 because they're just like any other stock. Every stock is wrecked. But the price of gold went up. Okay? So silver's not a focus for me right now. And here's another reason why. If you look at Sprott Physical Gold, you see the relative strength outperformance. But if you see Sprott Physical Silver, you don't. It's a 62 relative strength, not in the 80s. The relative strength line has not gone to a new high. So while gold's relative strength is skyrocketing, silver's is not. So my first step will be to own Sprott physical gold. You can own GLD if you want. I want physical gold, and I, I, I think Sprott physical gold is the best way to play it. And it's trading in a discount to NAV right now, over 1%, so I'm buying that. If I start making money on Sprott physical gold, and I feel like I've earned the right to take more risk, I, I, I'm going to look at silver and I'm going to look at GDX. But I need to see the relative strength of GDX pop into the 80s. I need to see relative strength of GDX make a new high before I want to own any of those names. Okay? So those are my thoughts for you on that. Hey, Eris, how you doing, brother? <laughs> That's right. That's right, Eris. 
Thank you for making that point right there. Diamond hands, holders, all of those guys, it's a joke. They get crushed. And we've been talking about forever, and I appreciate you bringing it up, Eris. Bitcoin is trading. Oh, it's trading below 19,000 now. Stephen, thanks. What do I think of PayPal? That's what I think of PayPal. It's a nine relative strength with no end in sight to the unwind that's going on. So what I submit to you, Deb, and I, and I love these questions. I, I want to I hear them, and we're going to keep working on our whiteboard. And so, again, Armor Insiders, go to the website. I'm changing the whiteboard. Top shelf names, in progress names, and, and short sale candidates. Um, but so, Deb, you, you, you bring up IIPR, you bring up PayPal. My question to you is, why are you bringing them up? Are you asking me from the standpoint of, should they be on a whiteboard? I don't, you're not asking me, should we be buying them, right? I don't think. I don't know how you run your portfolio. But um, so if you guys are asking me, where would I go buy? What stocks am I going to be buying the next time the market gives us an indication that it's going to stop plummeting? I'm going to buy energy stocks. I'm going to buy stocks with high relative strength. I'm not going to buy stocks with a nine relative strength that's in a free fall. PayPal, usually stocks that have gone through the destruction that that's gone through, take months to build a base that's viable, Deb. Months. And I, I, I mean, so I got all the time in the world. It's still in a downtrend. It hasn't even broken the downtrend. Right, if we took a trend line, you know, then the first thing this has to do, the first thing that this has to do is, is break the downtrend. And I don't need to be early. This isn't a market where we have to be early in anything. There's the downtrend. I already drew it. It's green, and it's like complete implosion downtrend. I should change that from green to some other color. You know, I mean, I don't know. You, you want to look at that and say it's, it's finally coming out of a downtrend? I would typically use something like a Fibonacci fan sequence. Um, the Fibonacci fan is my favorite way to identify a bottom in, a, in an asset. So let me show you what I mean. Um, see if I can find a Fibonacci fan. So you go like this and you connect maybe that, maybe that yellow line connects this. So it broke the first downtrend. And what Fibonacci fan will tell you is it has to break the third trend before a new trend is in place. Before a new trend is in place, the third downtrend line has to be broken. I just threw it up there real quick. We can manipulate it and make it a little tighter, a little looser, whatever. But the bottom line is you can see it. It hadn't even started yet. So how is it going to break the third downtrend line? It doesn't mean it has to go up a lot. It means it goes sideways for like six months and the downtrends come to it. And then it pops out. And then you have a change in trend. And so if you like PayPal, put it on a whiteboard somewhere for safekeeping. But make sure you keep it below the top shelf line, in my opinion. Uh, thanks for your continued value. Hey, you're welcome, Casey. Thanks for joining us. Thoughts on, okay. Thoughts on Zim? Let's pop it up here. And we might go late today just because I talked a lot and I want to make sure I get to all your questions. So thanks for waiting. 
Uh, Zim, shipping stocks. Um, I, Zim is my favorite shipping stock, KC, but that's one of my least favorite chart patterns. So uh, there's nothing I can do about that right there. CRISPR, here's an example of um, a Fibonacci fan sequence that would be interesting to look at since we just talked about it. See if this, this could be interesting. Because you might, no, no, I think you'd have to draw it. you have to draw it like that. It's kind of what I would do. Connecting through these tops here. Actually, maybe down a little bit like that. Connecting these tops here. So, so here's a massive downtrend. So you draw this first trend line through these tops all the way through here. You see what I'm saying, Deb? And so now it's made a double bottom and it's attempting to challenge that that next trend line, and it's still not time to buy the stock following Fibonacci sequences, but you can always alter this sequence a little bit. If you wanted to, you could do something like this. Well, that's not, that's not going to work. But um, here, there we go. Okay, so in a very short-term viewpoint, you, you could argue, you could easily argue from a, not going back to here, but going back to that top, that if CRISPR were, were to get above the 200-day moving average, the trend has changed. It's no longer a downtrend. And you would start saying, hey, maybe I should get long this asset. If it can get above the 200-day KC, it'll also be breaking the third downtrend line. So this is the most aggressive line. It broke it here. Then it follows the middle line down until it breaks out of there. Then it might follow this line down, and then it'll break out there. And you would say, the, the, the massive selling of CRISPR is over. It's not a guarantee it goes up, but there's a thought for you. I'm not, buy, I'm not buying uh, energy stocks right now. Now's the time. And by the way, look at that, Festeroso. It's breaking down. It's breaking down, man. Let's take this off the screen. All right. We actually made a little bit of money on that. It popped up and came down. Maybe made, I made, I made a few, few pennies. I don't know if we made money on that. Made a few pennies. Certainly a break-even trade. And then here it is coming down. I have no interest in the chart right now. Greg, how you doing? What's with AMC Dark Pool? Um, whoops. Oh, I almost spilled the coffee all over the keyboard. That would have been a problem of epic proportion. Um, all right. Dark pools. They're selling shares that are not available. Let me explain dark pool to you, my friend. Um, I'm not, I don't know exactly what story you're referring to, but I'm going to explain dark pools. Um, and because I can execute through dark pools, actually. I, um, I don't know if, you, if everybody can, but certainly... Um, the, the capital I'm running through interactive brokers, I have the option to, to, to sell in dark pools or buy in dark pools. Um, I think people that are selling information about the dark pools are kind of lying, okay? I don't mean to disrespect anybody, but they're not really sharing any valuable information. Um, they're just, I think, um, preying on the fact that most people don't understand dark pools. And so they, I, I've seen some websites that are like, hey, I've got inside information about what's happening in dark pool. Eh. 
every institution knows what's happening in a dark pool. Okay, so there's no real information there. But um, the purpose of the dark pool originally is because institutions that have, let's say, a million shares they want to buy of a stock, if they go into the open market and start hitting the offer, the offers disappear and the stock skyrockets. They can't own it. So how do they buy things? They use volume-weighted average price. So they do VWAPs algorithms. They do TWAP algorithms. But even then, smart HFTs, high-frequency trading guys, smart algos can sniff out a VWAP order, a TWAP order, and they, they front-run it. Okay? So then what happened was, and I'm going to go way back, I'm going to go way back right now to a, a time before um, computer trading, high-frequency trading, before decimalization, and let's go back to understanding the market when it was uh, fractions, okay? You would have um, AT&T or IBM back in the 1980s, 90s, early 90s, trading at, um, I don't know, $100 a share bid and $100.25 offered. $50 a share bid, 50 and a quarter offered. Okay? There was a spread there. Don't get me off on this rant. I think the world was a better place when brokerage firms ran money like this, where there was a bid and an offer. You had guys on the trading floor at the New York Stock Exchange who were market makers. They had a trading book. So an institution could come in and say, I've got a million shares to buy give it to the traders, the floor brokers, the traders, and they would talk amongst themselves, figure out what the price should be, and connect. Okay, that was all wiped out when the spread went to a penny. Nobody could connect. Everything went digital. So how do they connect? They can't call the trading desk anymore. They can't call New York Stock Exchange floor broker and say, hey, I got a million shares, because people find out the thing goes berserk. So they created this dark pool. This is when dark pools were originally created for institutions to trade amongst themselves and then print after the trade's done. So you have a big institution wants to buy, a big guy wants to sell, they cross the stock, make a print. All right? And even that's infected with high-frequency traders because there's ways to figure out who's putting big prints up, you know, and it's kind of weird. They, you'll, you'll see a, what looks like a low-volume day on a stock, and in the last five minutes, all of a sudden, huge volume trades. Greg, it's not really trading in the last five minutes. It's been trading all day in the dark pool, and it gets printed in the last five minutes. So getting back to your situation, why are they selling shares that are not available? I don't know who's telling you that, but if it's about real dark pools, it's not that they're selling shares that are not available. And again, I don't know exactly what you're referencing. So if you have a link and you want to put it in the comment section, I can go look at it, and then I can write you a more detailed response after this. I will. But there's institutions that want to sell shares. If they dump them all in the market right now, it would just implode. So they go into the dark pool looking for a big buyer that they can match it up with. Dark pools are supposed to make the, the market function correctly. It's not, like, it's not like dark pool, even though the name dark pool sounds nefarious, but it's not like a dark pool is set up to hurt people. It's actually to make the, the, the market function in a more liquid way. 
Does that make any sense? I, I hope I've helped. I hope I, <laughs> hope I didn't make it confusing. But there's a lot of confusion around dark pool. And personally, it's because I think the name sounds so mysterious, you know? Hey, Netsky, how are you? Gilead. Um, I'm glad you said is Gilead a safe dividend, safe load again at 5% dividend. Here's the thing, Netsky, that really disturbs me. Um, I can't believe you guys are still with me. I love it. Um, what really disturbed me last week is that all of my safe stocks got destroyed. So if my low beta stocks are going to get destroyed on the downside like high beta, but they're not going to go up as much like high beta, then what's the point of low beta? That's a question I'd like to ask everybody next Saturday. Let's start with that conversation. That has me really confused at the moment and very disappointed because I had a portfolio full of low beta dividend stocks that got trashed. <laughs> I was like, what? If I can't make the kind of money I can make on a high beta stock, but I get crushed just as much as a high beta stock on the downside, then what's the point of low beta? That, that's, a, that's a philosophical conversation for another day. My point being, my friend, don't hide behind this should be low beta. This should be safe. I wouldn't put safe in front of any stock symbol right now. But certainly Gilead down here, I get your point. It's trading right down here, the lows, and the yields back above 5%. Scott's miracle grow. I, I mean, Deb, I, I mean, I'm with you. We both love cannabis, but I've, I've been, I'm not with you in the sense I've been out of cannabis for a long time. It's just the wrong group. Guys, I'm exhausted from this conversation. I don't know about you. Oops. I appreciate all the time you've spent with me today. Let's take a break. Let's have Father's Day. Let's take Monday off. And I'll see all of you guys on the live trading desk. 815 Armor Insiders, Armor Subscribers. You can subscribe right down here. Don't forget. Um, feel free to you know, subscribe for us at the Armor Report down here. Okay? You can do the YouTube channel, but also become an Armor Insider. Join our virtual hedge fund desk. It'll help you avoid some of this massive destruction. And we'll be there together to capture the upside, which will be lots of fun. Don't forget, share the channel. You know, a like on Twitter is great, but do me a favor and retweet, because that'll really expand our reach and bring in other like-minded portfolio managers to join our virtual hedge fund trading desk. I would really appreciate that. And I wish you all a pleasant weekend. Take care, everybody. Oh, that's me. I always forget. <laughs> Take care, everybody.